Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We are in a new sermon series. We finished the Gospel Ecosystem there a few weeks ago, and now we're into... The books of 1 and 2 Samuel, we're going to do uh, about 10 or 12 sort of selective talks out of these couple of books sort of leading up to December, just prior to Christmas, and there's some great stuff in 1 and 2 Samuel. Uh, It's about the Lord who provides, God who provides in every situation is the the theme we're going to be tracing out uh, as we go through these books of Samuel. And uh, let me just find the spot. Now, just to help perhaps set the scene here for us, um, perhaps you've uh, been through a season of life where you felt really the anguish of extreme and deep pain. Uh, Maybe it's the heartbreaking situation of seeing a prodigal son or daughter uh, making a tragic mess of their life and uh, all the pain that's associated as you actually watch that sort of implode or unfold before your very eyes. And on top of that, maybe you've had people make some very insensitive comments about... If only you raised your son or daughter this way, maybe things may not have worked out. Sometimes very insensitive and um, very painful. Uh, Those sort of situations uh, can be deep and intense with pain and grief that actually really gets to the core of who we are. And all you felt that you could do in the middle of that is just cry out, but really from your heart, not really from your mouth or your lips. The pain has been so intense and deep, you can only just feel the cry of your heart happening in that way. Well, as we open up the first book of Samuel today, we're actually going to see God in a situation like that move in somebody's life. So if you've got your Bibles, please go to the first chapter of Samuel. We'll have that up there as well. And I'm going to read a little bit longer than what I initially planned, but I think it'll be good, uh, as I was sitting and thinking, if we actually get this story into our hearts and minds. So chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to start there. There was a certain man of Raphaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephratite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they'd eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, 
If you'll indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favour in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull and a faff of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Chapter 2, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bowels of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. 
he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honour. For the pillars of the Lord of the of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked he shall cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces, and against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Father, we thank you that we can open up your word. Please, 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 Holy Spirit, let us see what a gift we have before us. Help us to see that your word is alive, it's living and it's active. Working in our hearts. Please let it work today and reveal Christ, I ask. And I pray that in your glorious and holy name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, uh, the book of Samuel fits a really strategic part of God's word, the Bible. Samuel gives us an historical point of view here of God fulfilling his purposes and his plans throughout his world. Really important to see the Bible is one unified book. It's not a whole collection of all these different stories. It's actually one unified uh, story of God's glory recounted for us. Samuel's an historical book. It recounts the history of Israel as God's chosen people as he works out his purposes. Uh, The time and the setting for Samuel are around 1050 BC. Uh, So it's roughly 3,000 years ago from us uh, as we stand here today. Again, the, the Bible is this glorious picture that recounts history from right at the beginning of life to right where we are right now until the end of time as well as we looked at Revelation a little while back. If we think about where Samuel is, um, it's about 200 years after Moses has led the Israelites to the edge of the promised land and then Joshua has taken them into the land of Canaan to conquer the land that God has given to them. So it's now 200 years later we actually see uh, the books of Samuel begin to come alive. But the 200 years following Moses leading to the Uh, edge of the promised land, has seen Israel slip into a time of absolute godless living, marked by mayhem and chaos, marked by an absolute just walking away from the Lord. Uh, Actually, it's the time of the book of Judges that are prior to the books of Samuel. If you go back before this, there's the book of Ruth and there's the book of Judges. The book of Judges can be described like this. It's the wild, wild west. It's crazy. Here's one verse out of Judges that actually describes the time leading up to Samuel. It says this in Judges 21-25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's really a picture of the world today. Everyone does what they want to do in their own eyes. What's good for you, you do. What's good for you, you do. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes and not according to the eyes of God. That's the picture here leading up to this point where we get to the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. And this book of Samuel here shows us how God provides for and transitions Israel to have a king out of this 
absolutely reckless, godless time. And what the Holy Spirit does here actually gives us this picture here, what we call narrative scripture. I've just read for you a story here from 1 Samuel, the story of Hannah. And we're told all sorts of various stories here through the Bible of circumstances and situations in people's lives of real people. This is, these are real stories. This is not a sort of made-up thing to sort of help us see something. This is a real life and a real story that's taken place here. And through these stories, we see real human experiences here of pain and brokenness, but also alongside that, experiences here of people of joy and thanksgiving as they experience the wonder and the glory of God. More importantly, as we think about narrative scripture, what we see here is this gracious, sovereign hand of God fulfilling his plans and purposes to bring about the Messiah who would actually be our ultimate saviour. We've got to see that's the, what, what God is doing here through all of the scripture and particularly we're going to see that uh, through these next few weeks as we go through Samuel. Once Samuel opens up here with the arrival and background here of Samuel the prophet. We saw that baby that was born through that story. That's Samuel. It's a beautiful story. It's a true story here about Hannah, a barren, a barren wife, experiencing great anguish and uh, pain in life. God miraculously provides for her and in doing so brings about his plans here for the Messiah to come through. So here's where we're heading as we think about this today. Uh, God comes to those who are humble and broken and provides for them in the pit of despair where life can sometimes cast us into. Let's go back now. Let's think about this story. Let's think about the story we've just read because actually this is what the Holy Spirit wants us to see here is what's happening here in the story. Uh, We see there a certain man of no great prominence called Elkanah and he has a wife here called Hannah and Hannah is barren or she's unable to bear uh, bear children. And in the culture of that day, if you could not bear children, uh, you were in a bad place. It was both shameful and embarrassing and very dishonouring for you and your husband if you cannot bear children. That was like the ultimate for a woman to be able to bear children at that time. So what does Elkanah do? He actually goes and takes another wife called Peninnah and she is, able, she is fertile and able to have children. Now you might think, why did he do that? It's really important that they actually do do that because he needs to keep the family line going for the culture of that day and actually hand on the farm or the business or whatever to the firstborn son. So he takes another wife. Now, we don't do that today. We just have one wife, okay? One wife today. Each year, Elkanah takes his whole family up to Shiloh to worship the Lord and under wonderful, godly things to do. Actually see something of Elkanah's life here beginning to open up for us. Elkanah loved and provided for his wives and children, especially for the sacrifice days of worship. He would give these portions of food for them to take to these sacrifice days and to celebrate what God was doing. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion or a special portion because he loved her and obviously he knew of her distress at that time about being barren. But on the other hand, Peninnah did not love Hannah in the slightest. We're told in verses 6 and 7 that she's a rival and that she provoked Hannah. Have a look with me in verses 6 and 7. And her her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And there's a really good reason not to have multiple wives, isn't there? Just that going on. Each year, 
each year as they went to sacrifice, Peninnah would just rub in the face of Hannah her inability to have children. Possibly things along the lines like this. Oh, just by the way, Hannah, letting you know I'm pregnant again. So you'll need to do all the cooking over the next few months because, you know, I've got to rest up because I've got to deliver another healthy baby for Elkanah. Just sort of letting her know what's going on. And I think that makes mm, number seven now. Just irritating her, provoking her. Oh, that's right. You wouldn't know what it's like to be pregnant, would you, Hannah? You've never experienced that, have you? Why do you think God's closed your womb, Hannah? Oh, because he doesn't like you. You're not worthy of being one of his. This is the sort of talk I'd imagine Penanel would be doing to irritate her, to provoke her. And year after year, this would just keep going on, as we read in the story there. Hannah was devastated. Hannah was heartbroken because of her barrenness. And I was only further inflamed as Penanel would actually just keep irritating her, provoking her, and bringing that up. Now, Okana tried to help. He really tried to help, but I think he missed the mark. Have a look in verse 8, and he says, Aren't I better than ten sons for you? Nice try, Elkanah, nice try. Sometimes we men don't get it, do we? They don't want a solution. They don't want an answer. They just want to be heard. But he's trying to give a solution here at this particular point in time. Good try, but not quite enough. Hannah's feeling really deep pain and anguish here about her circumstances. She's hurting intensely. Uh, And this is something that we can all feel in this world from time to time, as we actually uh, face the futile and the frustrating elements of this world. Maybe for some people it is barrenness of being a wife, longing and desperately longing to be a mother and bear children. For others it could be other things in life that have caused us pain. But there are many things that actually can cause deep, intense pain within us. And maybe someone's even taunted you or provoked you over what you're feeling just to make it doubly worse at that particular time. So Hannah's in this intense pain and intense brokenness. How will she respond? How's she going to deal with this as she's actually copying this year after year? How's she going to respond to this continual provoking here and irritating that's beginning to crush her? What we're going to see here is that Hannah reflects a woman of faith in this response. She goes to the temple and to the Lord in prayer. Have a look in verse 10. It says there that Hannah's deeply distressed and weeps bitterly as she prays before the Lord. Deeply distressed and weeps bitterly, but she's praying. In verses 12 and 13, we actually get this other uh, picture of her intense pain while she's there at the temple. The the pain is so deep within her, her her lips are moving, but it's only really her heart that is speaking. Just reflects how intense this pain is for her at this particular time. She's sitting there like, I can't even get the energy to get my mouth to speak these words out, but my heart is pouring out this pain that I'm feeling on the inside. What's Hannah doing? She's praying. She's praying. She's bringing her pain to the Lord in a really, really humble way. In verse 11, as she prays, she simply calls herself there a servant of the Lord. That's all I am. I'm just a servant of the Lord coming before you now to pray. 
And in this prayer, Hannah makes this vow of conviction. And she says, Lord, if you give your servant a son, I will give him or dedicate him to you all the days of his life. If you give your servant a son, I will do this. Now, really important as we think about Hannah here, she's not using this as a bargaining chip with God. Really important that we see that. It's not like, God, I'll do a deal with you. If you give me this son, I'll give him back to you. And I'll let him serve you all the days of his life. Have we got a deal here, God? No, that's not what Hannah's doing here. She's got a really deep conviction here that recognises everything we receive in life, everything we receive in life is a gift from God. And God, everything I receive from you, I want to give back to you and dedicate to you. That's simply what Hannah is saying here in this way. I want to give this child back to be absolutely dedicated to you. So in, the, in, this, in this storm of pain here that Hannah is intensely going through, she prays. She prays. She brings it before the Lord. But take note, though, of the grace of God, even in prayer here, in this simple action of bringing it before the Lord. Have a look in verse 18. It says there that Hannah went and she had some food and her face was no longer sad. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace in prayer. The simple act of praying to the Lord had brought comfort to her anguished heart. She entered into that temple feeling so downcast and filled with anguish and now she leaves feeling comforted by the God of all comfort. So she's had this intense pain. She's now prayed. And we're going to see as we follow this story along that Hannah rose early the next morning with Elkanah and the rest of them and they worshipped the Lord and they returned back home to Ramah. And not very long after they returned back, by God's grace, where God had closed Hannah's womb, now that's a glorious picture of God's sovereignty, he now opens Hannah's womb and she's able to bear children. She falls pregnant in verses 19 and 20 to Elkanah and Hannah gives birth to a son and names him Samuel. Now, can you imagine the joy and jubilation that Hannah now has towards God for his sovereign hand working in her life? She'll be overjoyed and filled with jubilant feelings as she understands that God has met her in her time of desperate need. She who was now barren is now rejoicing in the goodness of God as he provides for her in the middle of this despair and this intense pain. God is the God who provides. God is the God who who knows exactly what we need and gives exactly what we need. But little did Hannah know at this particular time that God's greater purposes were being worked out through Samuel as well. She had no idea what was taking place at this time. Not only did God provide for her, but God is also providing for the nation of Israel at this very time as well. As they're going through this crisis of leadership where this nation has been plummeting for the last 200 years into chaos and mayhem with a failed priesthood and a floundering group of elders who are not leading this nation diligently. God's providing for them as well through Samuel. Hannah was a woman of deep conviction in the Lord and she stayed true to this vow, this vow that she gave. After Samuel is born, Elkanah continues his disciplined and reverent worship by taking the family each year to go up to Shiloh and to sacrifice and again remember the goodness of God. But Hannah says, please let me be excused. Please let me be excused as I wait for this Samuel the infant to be weaned from me. And then in verse 24, uh, we see that Hannah takes the young child Samuel and now leaves him at the temple to serve the Lord all the days of his life. 
Samuel's dedicated to the Lord and is committed to his service probably from around the age of three years old. Now you might think, what's going on there? Culturally, that was the thing that was done back then, particularly with uh, temple work and temple service. Uh, you might go to the end of chapter 2 and you'll actually see again that uh, Hannah made a little robe each year to give to Samuel as he grew and he ministered to the Lord. You actually see this connection still going on. This vow that Hannah had made uh, was a reflection of her deep conviction toward God to honour and to pray for him and to glorify for, uh, God. Sorry, She prayed for a son, she weaned him and then at three years old she gave him up for the service of the Lord. Again, as I say, not the done thing we would do today, but back then, this shows a reflection of uh, a glorious trusting in God and his uh, work in her life and, again, um, her dedication to see God glorified through what he had done for her. Now, you can see, if you went on to the next chapter, uh, sorry, the verses 10 to... Chapter 2, verses uh, 1 to 11... Uh, we read that before there. I'm, not, I'm just going to make a few brief points here. But what this does, this also reflects Hannah's um, deep and rock-solid understanding of God as she actually goes through this experience. In verse 1 of chapter 2, her joy is firmly fixed in God and his salvation. In verse 2, she knows that God is holy. In verses 3 to 5, the Lord casts down the proud and the arrogant. She understands that as well. Uh, verses 6 to 8, the Lord is sovereign over life and death and fulfills all his purposes. And in verse 9, God provides for all of his faithful people. And in verse 10, the Lord is the judge and he will carry out his decrees against the wicked. It's his powerful understanding and revelation that Hannah gets as she goes through this intense time. Now that's the story. It's a powerful story that's given to us by the Holy Spirit. What we need to ask ourselves here is, what are we to see in this? What is God doing here and showing of himself as we reflect on the life of Hannah and see what's taking place there? Here's some things that we've got to pick up out of this. Firstly, God is undertaking to correct Israel's leadership crisis and bring about his purposes of a king eventually, as we'll see that unfold as we go through uh, one and two Samuel. But let's look at how God is doing this. Let's look at what he's doing. Have a look in chapter 1, verse 1, and we see there that Elkanah is referred to as a certain man of Ramah in Ephraim. He's just an ordinary bloke. That's a bit like saying, if we were to write the same story today, that's a bit like saying, there was a bloke called Bill from the back of Burke. That's literally what we're seeing there in chapter 1, verse 1. There's a bloke called Bill from the back of Burke. He's a person of no prominence. He isn't a power broker from Collins Street in Melbourne. He isn't a celebrity that everybody knows about. He's just Bill from Burke. What are we seeing there? God chooses to use the nobodies in the eyes of this world, to fulfil his purposes in this universe. We can't skip over those small details. He's, he's just a certain man from Ramah. He's a nobody. Take Hannah in this story. Who is she? Hannah is a barren woman, unable to bear children. 
If you are familiar with your Bibles, you can, you'll actually see that she follows in a line of other barren women that God chooses to enable them at a certain point and time in life to bear children. Think of Abraham, Abraham's wife Sarah, Isaac's wife Rebecca, Jacob's wife Rachel, Samson's mother was initially barren. And if you go to the New Testament, Elizabeth, the uh, mother of John the Baptist, was barren up to that point in time. What is God doing here as we actually see this take place? These sort of nobodies in impossible situations. God is revealing himself to be great as he works through impossible circumstances and situations to bring about his will and purposes. Have a look in Corinthians chapter 1 where we actually see that spoken about again for the Corinthian church. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God doesn't choose the brilliant, the beautiful and the bold. God takes nobodies. Why does God do that? Because it's not about you or I getting any sort of glory out of this. It's about our glorious God getting all the glory out of this. This is the picture we see here when God takes these nobodies. It's God's greatness on display. And that's a good thing. Because we can't handle any glory. It goes to our heads and we just explode with pride. It's all about God. And it's all about his glory. God takes humble, trusting people who are willing to give themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord and he uses them for his glory. These people aren't worried about their reputation. These people aren't worried about what the world thinks of them. These people are like Hannah. They are just focused on living for the Lord. That is their desire and that is their goal. And when they get that, when we get that, that life is all about living for Christ, it releases us from the chains of this world. We're not trying to build a reputation. We're not trying to build a platform to promote ourselves. We don't have to. We're released from that pressure because we're living for the Lord alone. He's just looking for the nobodies, the people who are humble before him and just willing to be used in whatever way God chooses to use them. God takes the nobodies of this world and raises up new things to restore and lead his people to both joy and holiness in him. This is a glorious aspect of who God is. That's the gospel right there. That's good news. I don't have to measure up to something. God takes me where I am and he uses me for his glory. Look at what else happens here with Hannah. What is God doing for her in this desperate time of life for her? What's Hannah feeling? She's barren. And barren probably in every sense of the word as she feels this in deep, intense pain. Because that's what her world is. Her world is of one of bitterness and anguish at this time. As she has this rival wife just constantly reminding her of this bitterness and this shortcoming she feels in her own life. Or this constantly reminding of her of, an, of her nothingness. You're a nothing person, Hannah. So what does Hannah do? She comes before the Lord not just in prayer... Desperate prayer, really desperate prayer. 
This is something the Lord delights in. He delights in our desperate prayer. He delights in us coming before him with all the raw emotions that we have that we're feeling at that time. That's exactly what Hannah demonstrates. For She just poured it all out in the moment. She wept bitterly there as she prayed in that temple before the Lord. And see what happens for Hannah when she does that? Yes, she received what she asked for in a son called Samuel. But we're not meant to actually see that as some sort of formula. That if I just get as desperate as Hannah does, if I can get as many tears as Hannah's got, then God will give me what I ask for. That's not what we're meant to see as we read this here. That's not how God works in prayer. There are no formulas that guarantee we get what we ask for. God is a sovereign God. He knows exactly what we need and he gives us exactly what we need. But here's what God will do in genuine, heartfelt prayer. When we come before him, humble and crying out for him, here's what he'll, here's what he'll guarantee for us in our lives. We will get a deeper sense and awareness of his presence and who he is in our lives as we come before him in prayer. We may not get what we ask for, but God will give us something way better than that. He'll give us more of himself through prayer. And this is precisely what Hannah's prayerful song is. That's what chapter 2 is. It's a song is about. Have a look again in chapter 2 verse 1. It says there, this is what Hannah's got. My heart exalts in the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation. She's actually grown in awareness of who God is. And her heart is now filled with joy and exaltation because of who the Lord is. And in verse 8, she gets this other amazing revelation of who God is. He raised up from the poor, he raised up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. This is the revelation that Hannah now gets as she comes before the Lord in desperate prayer. If we commit ourselves to humble, faithful prayer before the Lord, he will use that prayer to reveal himself to us in wonderful and powerful ways. If you're in a desperate place, he will actually reveal his peace, his comfort and his strength to you in those desperate times. I'll guarantee you that. Without a sh- if you come humbly before him, he will meet you. And he will give you what you need in that moment and in that time. Hannah left the temple there after pouring out her heart before the Lord, feeling comforted and reassured of God's good. She had no child at that point in time, but she felt comforted and reassured in the Lord. See, God will use challenging times in our life to take us deeper in him. He doesn't waste any of those times. He doesn't waste any of those dark, lonely times. He uses that to reveal himself in a much greater way before us. Think about Paul the Apostle going down the Damascus Road. He's struck blind and for three days he's thinking, what on the earth is going on in my life? But if you go there, Ananias finds Paul to be praying, coming humbly before the Lord in that desperately difficult time that Paul was in, praying. God will take those challenging times we have and in prayer he will take us deeper in him. So we think about that today, we've got to ask ourselves, are you or I in a barren place? Are you like Hannah today, feeling the weight of the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of life, 
crushing in upon you. Pain is intensely welling up on the inside. Hannah would say, come to the Lord in prayer. Come and trust that he will hear you and come and trust that he will reveal yourself to him in very, very powerful ways. Ways that you could never imagine would ever happen unless you went through that difficult time. And he will enable you to grow through those challenges as you come before him in prayer. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I'm not Hannah, but I'm Peninnah. I'm actually a rebel. I'm actually giving people a hard time and I'm treating others badly. God would still say, come before him in prayer. Come before him through Christ, his son, who's given up his life on the cross to forgive us and to pay the price of our sins. Come before him in prayer and to receive that same forgiveness and that same restoration and that same relationship with God. Comes through prayer through Christ. What we need to see today is prayer is a wonderful means of God's grace given to us. If we neglect it, we are so much more the poor for doing that. We neglect such a glorious avenue of grace that God's given to us that we see evidenced here in Hannah's life today. God wants us to come before him in humble prayer and he will provide for us. Wonderfully, wonderfully will he do that. Praise God for the story of Hannah. Praise God for his purpose in our being fulfilled uh, as we see Samuel the prophet being born. Let's pray. Father, today, thank you. Thank you as we begin to open up the book of Samuel. Uh, we begin to see your purposes unfolding. We begin to see, Lord, also uh, the pain that Hannah is going through, feeling the weight of brokenness of this world crushing down upon her, Lord. Her rival uh, wife, Lord, also uh, doubling down on that pain and making it even worse. God, we thank you today that you're a God who hears our prayers. You're a God who comes to us in our times of pain. You're a God who comes to us in our times of desperation. God, that we don't have to have it all together. That you're the Lord who meets us right where we're at. Please. Open our eyes up today to come humbly before you, Lord. To open up our hearts, let our pain speak, even if it is silent. And to see you reveal yourself to us in such glorious ways. That you become larger and larger in our life and that we know your grace and your peace. Please help us to see that today. And please help us to walk in that we ask. And we pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.